0: Welcome to the three martini lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbas of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We got two good martinis again today, we're pretty sure. We'll find out in November on one of them. But we also have a crazy that could turn into a bad at some point. So a little bit of nuance uh, required today, so let's dig right in. The first one, I think, is just genuinely good, and that's one of the things that the uh, Republican Party plans to do if they win back the House majority, which odds are, They will, given the current climate, redistricting, a lot of different factors we've talked about. But part of it's also their agenda. We saw Kevin McCarthy roll out the pretty broad commitment to America. Not a ton of specifics, but getting going on the economy and schools and crime and energy and and that sort of thing. Uh, Not a lot at that point on the international front. But Jim, as someone who's uh, followed China a lot in the last couple of years, I think you're going to love this one. John Katko, uh, Republican of New York, ranking member of the House Committee on Homeland Security, plans to be laser focused on threats emanating from China. Uh, This is in the Politico uh, playbook today, newsletters. Uh, It says the Democratic majority has utterly failed. This is the Republican approach, obviously, to highlight the long term threats that China poses. There are so many instances where this administration has not stood up to the Chinese menace. Confucius Institutes still operate here. We didn't take a tough stand with respect to the Beijing Winter Olympics. We didn't clap back hard enough, if at all knowing about China's state-sponsored cyber attacks against the United States. We're going to have a laser focus on supply chains because supply chain security is homeland security, and right now we don't have it. The CHIPS Act is a very important first step, but it's not nearly enough. We need to engage in more detailed and rigorous analysis of nearshoring and reshoring and bringing production back out of China to the Western Hemisphere. There's a lot we can do with Customs and Border Protection for the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. There are things we can do with respect to China shipping fentanyl through Mexico, into the United States, and the devastation it's doing to young American lives. And so, Jim, that's a pretty exhaustive list of huge challenges. The one he left off, of course, was holding China accountable for COVID. Uh, But nonetheless, this is a very thorough list, but there's probably more, of what uh, China is doing to damage this country deliberately, and it's about time somebody started talking about it. So I've been thinking
1: about how the issue of China breaks down along partisan lines. There used to be a fairly bipartisan coalition in favor of greater engagement with China and trade with China. You go back to the 1990s. Bill Clinton, a lot of congressional Republicans, Newt Gingrich, all believed that expanding trade with China would uh, make the Chinese more like us. That would help our efforts in spreading uh belief in universal human rights and american values and things like that i think we can all agree that did not work out and in fact had all kinds of bad consequences for the us both economically and geopolitically and in terms of our national security so now who opposes china well the interesting thing is is that you know unions have never been particularly fond of this and they're traditionally more democratic allied but as the Republican Party becomes a more working class and blue collar party, and the Democratic Party becomes more of a white collar uh, party, more aligned with corporate America, you probably noticed all the rainbows that came out in June. That this is a sign that you know all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Democrats are kind of not the anti corporate party. In fact, they're used to having their fundraisers and their, you know, allies and, you know, in big tech and, and all this, Democrats are finding themselves in this weird circumstance. So I think this, first of all, this is a huge winner, you know, rather glaring numbers here. The Pew Research Center asks uh, Americans how they feel about uh, other countries about once a year uh, in 2020, you know, a fairly big deal for things happening in China. Uh, 79% of U.S. adults expressed an unfavorable opinion that went down a little bit to t- 76% in 2021. This year, 2022, 82%. Look, Americans do not like it. They don't like it on trade. They don't like it on the Uyghurs. If they're paying attention to Hong Kong and to Taiwan, they don't like it on that. And I still think, yes, the COVID-19 pandemic was a big issue in this. I still think there's a lot of, you know, circumstantial but still compelling evidence pointing towards a lab leak. And we've never gotten any good, you know, plausible explanation about how a bad virus just happened to jump. That just happens to look a lot like what they are researching in those labs, just happened to appear in a you know wet market not far from the Wuhan Institute of Viro- Virology. So you add all that up, this is a slam dunk. This is pretty easy. And I think it will be, t- I mean, Democrats may attempt to say, oh, you know, we're tough on China too. First of all, as recently as 2019, uh, Joe Biden was downplaying the notion of China as a competitor. And I think that there's, you know, this new alliance between the Democratic Party's leadership and the progressive left um so let's call this the the progressive establishment of the democratic party uh they would find that very difficult there's going to be some tension there and i think you can back the democrats into defending china if you play your hands correctly so uh good for republicans i think this is going to be a very big issue not just in these midterms but i think moving ahead as americans contemplate their options in 2024.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do if the Democrats still control the White House. Passing major legislation could be difficult depending on the issue. Maybe you can get some stuff through, but you can highlight a lot uh, through committee hearings and subpoena power and just really shining the spotlight on all these areas uh, uh, China has has really uh, stepped out of line in. And it's, it's just another example also, Jim, of, if I may paraphrase, the counselor in South Park. Uh, communists are bad, okay? <laughs> and every time we go soft on... Uh, evildoers, as George W. Bush would say, it doesn't work out. And when we get tough on them, things usually turn out a little better. Uh, The Soviet Union, in the beginning of the 80s, if you had bet on who would win the Cold War, you probably would have gotten even odds at best. By the end of the decade, the wall's down because we got tough on them. Uh, Iran, Obama went soft on them. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Uh, Trump got tougher on them. Still nothing changed, but they're hurting more. Uh, And now, of course, China, we tried to be nice to them, and that didn't work out either. So you got to be careful when you're dealing with bad actors, and the communists are never going to change. All right, on to our... Second good martini, cautionary good martini, but uh, over the past couple of election cycles, uh, Robert Cahaley and Trafalgar have been pretty spot on and surprising people on on various races. Uh, They got uh, a lot of the midterm races right in 2018. Uh, 2020, they had, uh, I think they ultimately predicted Trump would win, but they certainly had him uh, doing much better than most of the other polls. And as we know, uh, the presidential race in 2020 came down to less than 50,000 votes in a handful of states. So, He's got his finger on the pulse, and now he's got some numbers out there that, if they're right, are going to be so different from all the other pollsters, it's really going to make people stand up and take notice. The latest is today's poll on the New York governor's race. Uh, A lot of these polls have Kathy Hochul up easily in double digits, well into double digits, not so much in Trafalgar. It's Kathy Hochul 44.5 to Lee Zeldin 42.6. Jim, he also, I think, has tighter races, for example, for Blake Masters in the Arizona Senate race and and some others around the country. I think Michigan governor is another one where most polls have that one fairly comfortable for Whitmer, but he's got Dixon, at least within striking distance. And he believes that even more than in the Trump election of 2020... There's people who don't want to tell you how they're going to vote, and he thinks that's going to redound to the Republicans. So uh, a lot riding on this for, for both parties, of course. But uh, this theory of Robert Cahales, uh is also uh, going to be put to the test here in a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, this is our cautiously good martini today. Uh, my colleague Dan McLaughlin had a chance to talk to uh, Robert Cahali of uh, of Trafalgar. And it, they, you can find it if you if you Google the headline. The pollster who thinks it's happening again for Republicans. It was back in, you know, mid to late September. And it was a really interesting interview because I think even if you want to say, ah, you know, Trafalgar's too close, you know, too friendly to Republicans or, or something like that, e- even if you want to dismiss it, I don't think you can dismiss the assessment of what's wrong with polling. Uh one of the things Kalahi said, which was uh, I think, you know, very plausible and and you know compelling. Was this notion that most pollsters ask too many questions to, uh, you know, to get a representative sample of people as a whole, of, of the electorate as a whole. Chris says, you know, some of these pollsters ask, you know, 75 questions and a bunch of them are two parters. So when you go through every last piece of information that they ask for, you end up with 150 questions. Most people don't have the time to answer 150 questions, particularly if you call them around dinner time or something like that. The people who you get who are willing to sit there and answer 150 questions are either extremely motivated and can't wait to share people what they think about their politics, or they're kind of lonely. <laughs> they really just like having somebody on the other end of the phone to talk to. Um, now, those people who vote, but the entire electorate is not made up of people like that. The electorate is made up of lots of people who aren't all that interested in talking to a pollster. And so the question is, how do you get a good and accurate measurement of it? Well, one of the things that Kahali, I'm sorry, Kahali, I keep I keep, you know, mispronouncing that. I should just call him Trafalgar. Um, <laughs> one of the things that Trafalgar polling does is it doesn't ask any more than seven questions in a survey. You got to have certain ones to make sure you're getting, you know, what is your gender? What is your age? You know, sometimes you want income level, race, ethnicity, stuff like that. But basically they ask seven questions and then they're done. They, they don't want to take up a lot of your time and as a result i think they have somewhat better response rates and i think the argument that you're you know when you you look at these surveys you know from other pollsters you're asking here's what the shut-ins of the world think i I, I exaggerate slightly but the people who are willing to to answer those questions are not necessarily representative so the question is how do you account for the people who are never interested in talking to the pollsters i don't know if his way of doing it is perfect it is worth noting that every once in a while yes he does have uh as my colleague characterized it a clunker um, he did have in the uh, California gubernatorial recall a tight race, and and Gavin Newsom won that one pretty well. But you look back at uh, 2021 where he saw a tight race. Everybody else thought that Murphy was going to win by a wide margin. He said Republic- the Republican was going to win in Virginia. Um, he got some outcomes wrong in the you know narrow Trump victories in some states. They were often closer to the final results than what other folks had, and that they had predicted big Biden wins, and in fact Biden won by a small margin. So. You run it all down, it's pretty darn reasonable. And there's no pollster out there who's going to get it 100% right every time. So, um, if what Kahali is saying is accurate, then yeah, there are a whole bunch of Trump voters. There are a whole bunch of Republican leaning voters who don't want to answer the phone, who aren't being represented in a bunch of these surveys. And you should expect Republican candidates to do significantly better than you're seeing in these final numbers, maybe a couple percentage points or maybe more than just a few percentage points. And if that shakes out, the polls are not looking too bad for Republicans right now. It would go from, oh, that's a pretty darn good year for Republicans to, wow, that's a really good year for Republicans. So we will see how it shakes out. I still don't know if I would say, ah, Republicans are going to win the governor's race in New York this year. But numbers like that, you know, you look at the fact that she was never elected by herself, the state of the state, state of the national economy, overall mood of the country, right track, wrong track, all that kind of stuff. You shouldn't be uh, seeing a Democratic incumbent winning re-election by a wide margin. So, uh, you know, the idea of Zeldin doing well doesn't strike me as unbelievable, but uh, I guess that's why we hold the elections, and we will see
0: in early November. Crime and that issue seem to be making a huge difference in a lot of Senate races. We'll see if it does in New York, I assume, Lee Zeldin, since he was violently assaulted at a campaign event, is probably uh, highlighting that as much as possible. And, uh, you know, anecdotally, you hear from folks in New York, it's very, very different than it was just a short time ago, but it's a deeply, deeply blue state. I'm assuming she's probably not running a ton of ads showing her and Andrew Cuomo together, Jim. I don't I don't know. I haven't followed the race closely, but my guess is if she has any political instincts, that's probably not happening. No, she's running ads showing Zeldin getting stabbed and saying, <laughs> look,
1: if you know what's good for you, you'll vote for me.
0: All right, on to our final martini now, and this is crazy and bad. Jim... Fact-checking may have seemed like a good idea at one time. Hey, you've got two different, uh, at least, two different people arguing over what the facts are on this issue. Why don't we dig in and figure out what that is? Well, that quickly went off the rails, Uh, PolitiFact being the worst. Uh, We were thinking about doing a story earlier this week where uh, J.D. Vance in an ad against uh, Tim Ryan in Ohio Uh, was saying that there's TV Tim who talks a good game, that he's, you know, more of a populist. And then there's DC Tim who they have a clip of him saying he literally loves Nancy Pelosi. And uh, uh, PolitiFact says that's uh, about half true because at one time, Tim Ryan actually ran against Nancy Pelosi for speaker. So it can't possibly be true that he loves her and then he votes for her 100% of the time. Uh, So with uh, friends like that, uh, Democrats usually have the fact checkers in their corner. And now we're going to get even more of this as we get closer to election day. Because of Twitter, and I'm guessing this is not Elon Musk's doing, this is the outgoing uh, folks at Twitter, Uh, Yahoo News, after last month's expansion of Twitter's crowdsourced fact-checking program known as Birdwatch, Twitter announced this morning the notes fact-checkers leave on tweets will now be visible to all U.S. users. That doesn't mean everyone in the U.S. will be able to participate in Birdwatch. However, the service had around 15,000 contributors during its pilot testing phase and was planning to add around 1,000 more per week. So there should be up to about 19,000 contributors. So, Jim, it's crowdsourced. <laughs> so I don't know who they're exactly they're allowing in here, but given uh, the little notices we've seen on uh, uh, tweets before, I can guess which way they lean. They say the idea with Birdwatch is to add a layer of fact-checking and context to tweets that don't necessarily violate Twitter's rules. So, Jim, get ready for more of this. Uh, people deciding that things that are absolutely 100% true that benefit Republicans being, oh ah, you know, uh, mostly false.
1: Fact-checking is deeply broken. And in addition to the problem of the different ways in which they will put their thumb on the scale and say, well, what the Democrat meant to say, you know, In the case of Tim Ryan, yes, he did run against Nancy Pelosi to be speaker back in 2016. And I think you can, you know, that's a point to say, okay, well, he's not automatically always marching in lockstep with the party all the time. But in the past year, he's voted with the Biden administration 100% of the time. So you really can't point to him being a rebel against the rest of his party anytime soon. And for those of us who say, okay, well, he did run against, you know, Pelosi, that, that was 2016. And, um... Greg, a lot's happened since then, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yes. I mean, like, like literally, that's the that, that's that's the Biden, that's the Obama administration, right? You know, it's pre-Trump, pre-COVID, like, you know. I, I don't know how much longer you can dine out on that and say, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a guy who's I'm a moderate. I'm I'm a centrist, I'm not like the rest of my party. If you want to do it, you gotta vote against the administration. Yeah, once in a while, right? Is that just really too much to ask? So so that example is kind of ridiculous. But I think the other thing which I think does get nearly enough attention is how often Big, well-funded, uh, big mainstream media institutions who do fact-checking spend their time. First of all, fact-checking Republicans a lot more than Democrats. And they'd say, oh, well, Republicans lie more. You know, We just never seem to run across any Democrat lies that are important enough to, to fact-check or something like that. And the other thing is that how often it strikes me is they waste their time on stuff that's just like flat out crazy nonsense. I'm looking at PolitiFact as we report right now, Thursday afternoon, right? first fact check is of Marco rubio and they say something about he's saying val demings voting to allow transgender youth sports and teaching radical gender identity without parental consent is half true i'm gonna look i haven't clicked through but i'm gonna say okay rubio's right they just don't want to admit it right second one rick scott right kamala harris said about hurricane ian that if you have a different skin color you're gonna get relief faster it's not a they say that's false it's not a direct quote but she did say that equity would be the priority in allocating hurricane aid and various people at both at, uh, I believe the you know, uh, national institutions and uh, DeSantis are saying, nope, 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 that's not the case. We don't, uh, you know, consider race or ethnicity or any of that kind of stuff uh, in terms of who gets relief. Everybody gets relief, you know, first come, first serve, you know. Ron Johnson uh, says that Mandela Barnes supported a 20% increase in the gas ch- tax. That one is half true, which means it's true. They just don't want to admit it's right. But the, they keep, first of all, a whole bunch of them come from Facebook posts. Now, you and I know any old schmo can post anything they want on Facebook. Now, should people believe it? No, you should probably go back and, you know, check out. And if something seems a little, that old saying in journalism, if your mother says she loves you, you know, check it out. Sorry, mom. Um, That sense of you do want to, if something sounds too good to be true, you should be suspicious. But one of the things that they've decided to check that just kind of jumps out at me, Facebook post, October 5th, 2022, in a Facebook post, quote, Dr. Oz wins seat. Unquote. Pants on fire, Greg Corumbus. Wow. You believe well, that? Uh, not yet. It turns but... out that Dr. Oz <laughs> has not won Because the election's in November. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Actually, let me go through and see which ninny posted that this is a, you know, so, so. <laughs> If your time is short, no one has won this race. The election isn't until November 8th. I'm glad you're here, Politifact. Thank <laughs> God. An October 5th, October post prematurely called the race. He left the race. Trump has victory laugh after Fetterman begs to join Trumper. Dr. Oz wins seat. Now, let's say, you know, like I have no idea if this person has a million followers or zero followers. But I assume this person's on drugs, right? Or they're a time traveler, right? They, they, there's no way. You know, I, who, I have no idea how many people out there believe that the election is already done. Let's see. Well, it's already been web archived, making me think that it's been taken down. I, there, there's no indication this comes from anyone. It, it's it's basically going out and checking random people on Facebook. Now, is this really the best way to re, to use the time and available resources of uh, of Politifact? I, it strikes me as kind of and the sheer number of times of your crazy Aunt Edna is sending you uh, some meme that has the minions and that says that, uh, 94% of the people who got the COVID vaccine ended up getting measles in a week or something like that. No. Okay. Again, yes. Aunt Edna is crazy. All right. I don't know how many people, if you choose to believe Aunt Edna, all right, that's on you. Right. Now, meanwhile, I don't see them ever running around and saying, well, actually Joe Biden was not actually raised by the Puerto Rican community. (laughs) I don't see them running out and saying Corinne Jean-Pierre says she has a hard time uh, keeping up with the energy level of Joe Biden. Like, we need something beyond pants on fire level. We want a bull bleep standard <laughs> for bullet effect. somewhere. I don't believe you, I'm not even going to go into the back, he's turning 80 next month. You seem like you're in perfectly fine shape, Karine Jean-Pierre. Don't tell me that he's Jesse Owens. <laughs> running over hurdles or something like that. We've all seen Joe Biden. We've all seen him bod- wandering around after he finishes his speech looking confused, not knowing where he- – don't tell me that he's this energetic, you know, a r- nonstop energizer bunny that, ah, oh, you got to catch your breath trying to keep up with what uh, a vigorous schedule that Joe Biden keeps. None of this stuff ever seems to interest the fact checkers. They never see all that kind of thing. You know what? The Democrats really just tried to offer us an utterly implausible BS line here. It's nonsense. Sorry, we're not buying it here. It's always this. Well, what the Republicans said is technically true, but it missed this context that makes you know, that proves you should be voting for the Democrats.
0: No, it's insane. And the fact that this is crowdsourced and they have 15,000 people doesn't give me any more confidence on Twitter because, <laughs> you know, it all depends on on, on which way they lean. We're at, th- we're at this point now where the fact checkers are just as partisan as the original posts. And so uh, it, we're not getting to any consensus here. We're not putting any credibility into these people anymore because we know that, that whatever their conclusion is, is going to be based on their political ideology rather than the actual facts, which was supposed to be their job. So... Anyway, get ready for all those little blue things at the bottom to learn more about uh, as uh, tweets come closer and closer to Election Day, Jim. I'm sure that won't be annoying at all. Can't wait, Greg. Can't wait. (laughs) Hey, tomorrow's Friday, though. That's good, right? Okay, good. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thank you also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please, please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Get Jim's brand new thriller, Gathering Five Storms, as well as the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Uh, Find us on Twitter also. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Thursday and join us again on Friday for the next three martini lunch. Rabbi Yakov Menken of the Coalition for Jewish Values joins me to discuss the horrific rise in anti-Semitism towards Jewish families, schools, and more. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter show, the rabbi and I also discuss how Governor Andrew Cuomo unfairly targeted Jewish residents during the pandemic, the left's ugly anti-Israeli position, and why Iran is eager to use nukes. Don't miss it. Follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.